And hello, everyone. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to Upstream on Unsafe Space. I'm your host, Carter Laren. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at Unsafe Show. You can go to unsafeshow.com. We've got a Facebook page now, thanks to Carrie Smith. So that's uh, Unsafe Space. You can go to patreon.com slash unsafe space. And we always make video uh, sorry, audio versions of these video shows uh, into podcasts, so you can look for Unsafe Space on your favorite podcast app, and you should be able to find us there. So, again, welcome. Today, I'm going to I'm going to just do a very simple thing. I'm going to go through the <clears throat> testimony by Sundar Pichai, who's the CEO of Google. He testified today in front of the House Judiciary Committee, and it was about, I don't know, three and a half, three and a half maybe maybe four hours long, and uh, I figure probably not everyone watched all of it, and it's useful to, useful to pay attention to because it gives you some insight both into how, you know, the thinking behind some of the Silicon Valley uh, major tech companies but more importantly, behind how government is reacting to them and what we can expect there. And sadly, some of the uh, lack of understanding. Look at that. The doorbell rang as I'm as I'm doing the show. Anyway, so I unplugged the phone. I forgot about, I don't know if I can even turn off the doorbell. Anyway, I'm going to go through the Sundar's testimony. I took some notes. Uh, he was He was interviewed by a bunch of different members of the House Judiciary Committee. The best part of the entire testimony, though, was that uh, there was some dude dressed up like Rich Uncle Pennybags from Monopoly in the background behind uh, Sundar as he was as he was testifying. Rich Uncle Pennybags is that Monopoly character dude with a um, top hat and a monocle, and he had like an increasingly big mustache. It started out with like a little mustache and then grew to medium size, and then by the end of the testimony, it was like this giant mustache and he took the old mustaches and pasted them on top of his top hat he had a sack of cash there as well which was visible so uh, i'm not sure what the point of i'm sure that there was some political point to to the uncle mr uncle Pennybags, uh rich uncle Pennybags behind uh the ceo of google but regardless of the political statement it was funny and it certainly made uh the testimony more easy to watch <clears throat> so Let's just jump in here. First of all, I, I think it's important to point out here, Google is a very complex company, and there are a lot of different issues here. But there were two main themes that are kind of the consistent takeaway from these kind of hearings. We've seen it before with uh, Facebook and and others. And the main theme that was obvious, if you were watching, is that a lot of Congress people just don't understand how business works, how tech works. And they are uh, inappropriately shocked by things that are normal. And, uh, you know, obviously, if they understood how business worked, they would probably be uh, in Sundar's chair and not, uh, not an elected official. So that kind of goes without saying, I guess, that they don't understand it as well. The other big takeaway was... <clears throat> The Democrats and Republicans were both, both very interested. They, they both had this clear vested interest in promoting their side without really a lot of adherence to principle. There was some talk about principles, but uh, it was very much kind of 
concern about the Republican versus Democrat narrative. And and really, there's a there's a hidden danger there, even if you believe in kind of forcing companies to balance viewpoints. And, and that danger I'll talk about in a little bit, but it's this, you know, both Republicans and Democrats are part of this com- kind of omni-party, and uh, it really does make it difficult to have third viewpoints um, get voice and, and be expressed, and of course, neither party really cares about. They would, they would be happy with just Republicans and Democrats for the rest of eternity. So in terms of the actual issues that were brought up, there were there were a bunch of different ones. I would say if I you know had to categorize the maybe top four, they were uh, privacy concerns, um, concerns about bias in either search results or news, including kind of m- election manipulation concerns there, um, YouTube YouTube curation concerns, and and then China. So remember now, at, um, Google doing something in China or not doing something in China. I kind of just skipped over that really quickly, but that was the other concern. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk through so you'll hear <clears throat> what these concerns are. But those were the, the major categories. Just as a reminder, Google, for those of you who don't know, I know a lot of us think of Google as a search engine. Uh, obviously, that's how they began. Google also has a huge ad network, which I think is responsible for a majority of their revenue. They also own YouTube, and that ad network is obviously incorporated on YouTube as well as other sites that aren't owned by Google. It's a pretty massive ad network. They also own um, Gmail and a suite of Google tools that a lot of businesses, particularly small businesses, but also just individual users, use uh, use use Google's uh, Gmail and the suite of uh, applications like Google Docs and that kind of thing. They also own um, the they're responsible for the Android operating system, which they supply to. Uh, third-party phone manufacturers who then incorporate the Android iOS uh, and they use it to run their run their hardware. And then I think Google also has a phone themselves, I think the Pixel, uh, if I last recall. I don't know if they've shut that down, but I think it looked pretty cool last time I saw it, and it's not that old. So I think Google has a phone of their own as well. So th- those are all the things that Google has. And so it's kind of difficult. <clears throat> you know, a lot of times these Congress people will be conflating uh, Parts, different parts of the business, and it's not clear what they're really asking about. Or, um, but it's a pretty wide-reaching company, and so there's a lot going on at Google. So, one thing to note is they both sides all all really thanked Google for pushing voting on people, helping people to vote. Uh, and um, I don't know why that's viewed as such a good thing, helping people to vote, but. Uh, it is almost unanimously by society. Everyone thinks that everyone should vote all the time. Uh, I'm probably in a very small minority that thinks, I don't think you should bother to vote unless you really care and have a deep understanding of the issues. And I don't really think voter turnout is, uh, you know, higher voter, voter turnout doesn't actually necessarily give you better policies, especially when you have a lot of people, zombies just pulling the, the donkey lever or the elephant lever, depending on uh, who sent them to the polls. So... Anyway, we do, however, live in this society where everyone thinks it's great that Google tells you how to get to your your nearest uh, polling station and all that kind of stuff. So uh, they were both very excited about that. So these <clears throat> hearings opened with uh, Chairman his his name is spelled Good Latte, but I think it's pronounced Good Lat, but it looks like Good Latte. So uh, Chairman Good Latte, Good Lat, uh, made an opening statement and. 
he talked about a couple things. One was the Communications Decency Act, which uh, allows, he, he said, allows providers to remove or block illegal or harmful or objectionable material. Allows is a weird word to use there. I think he means allows them to do that without being categorized as an editor. So, um, again, there's a, there's a difference for those of you who maybe haven't heard this in the past. There's a difference between how companies get treated, whether they are editorial, and an example would be the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times, where they get to choose what material gets published, and they have um, contract writers in those examples, or sometimes even staff writers who write for them, and they, they choose and they build the narrative, and they, they choose what to, to cover in their publication, and they're held to a different set of standards. They, they're liable for uh, libel. For libel. Uh, they're liable for um, misstatements and um, falsehoods and that kind of thing. You can sue the New York Times, for example, if they print damaging and uh, untruthful information about you. But there's a carve-out for the Communications Decency Act. There's a carve-out, I think it's Section 230. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong. There's a carve-out for companies that are just providing, quote, platforms. And those are you can think of like YouTube, it's just, well, anyone can upload anything and they're not really curating. And so he started out by saying, how hey, well, you know, you are allowed to do a little bit of curation and still fall in this this uh, Communications Decency Act Section 230 exemption. Uh, but, you know, you're still allowed to remove some illegal and harmful stuff. It still doesn't count as curation. Anyway, so he said that. Um, he He kind of wanted Google to give transparency about some decisions and metrics that they use for things, which is... I think inappropriate. I don't think the government can ask for transparency from corporations about their decisions. Uh, their their customers can, of course, and the companies can say, "I don't want to give you transparency," and then you can decide whether or not you want to do business with that company or not. But uh, for the government, kind of pressuring corporations to be transparent about what might be their secret sauce or things that are of of import to the company is really inappropriate. But that's the world we live in, and. And then he made some weird question, weird comment about like people are affected by search ranking biases. Like if one thing appears before another thing in the search rank, that affects behavior. I think that's pretty obvious, but uh, he did not seem, I don't know if he was unhappy about that or just surprised about it, but uh, yes, obviously that is true. So he got to open the questions. He started and... You know, I didn't take, by the way, these are not like word-for-word notes. I just took some notes, and I probably missed a few. I might have missed a few people that questioned uh, Sundar Pichai. I might have, uh, you know, I'm sure I missed some areas, but giving you a general overview here. He started by basically saying, these are my words, obviously not his, kind of, hey, aren't you collecting a shitload of data? That was kind of like, hey, you're collecting a lot of data, right? And, you know, Sundar was like, oh, depends on the use cases, Right, you know, maybe depends on, you know, what you've got enabled and what apps you have and blah blah blah. And his answer, which is a dishonest, shitty answer, was so the answer is yes. Then you are collecting a lot of data. And again, Pichai was like, well, it depends, right? Um, and so then he kind of went on his rant a little more, kind of saying, does the average consumer understand how much data Google will collect when they agree to the terms of service? Um, and then he talks about Section 230 of the CDA and uh, the Communications Decency Act. And he says, hey, would you be, would Google or YouTube be willing to make changes in support of a healthier civic dialogue if doing so meant a drop in user engagement metrics? 
right? So he he kind of says, hey, you know, I recognize that controversial things maybe help engagement. Would you be willing to support changes um, in support of a healthier civic dialogue? Now, to me, that's authoritarian speak, right? It's uh, it's Big Brother speak. What the hell is a healthier civic dialogue? All right? Are cat videos and Alex Jones conspiracies healthier than uh, you know uniparty propaganda messages? I don't know, right? Maybe, maybe they're not. But who's to decide what's healthy civic dialogue? Uh, I think that should be left to the people. But of course, the government thinks it's and and Republicans and also Democrats, right? That the, the power, the people in power now think that they can define a healthy civic dialogue. And of course, Google, uh, being arrogant Silicon Valley leftists, think that they can determine a healthier civic dialogue. They know what that means. They know what a healthy civic dialogue means, and it means no Alex Jones or whatever. So, of course, Sundar said, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll help you do that. We want long-term viability for YouTube, and we want a sustainable platform. And and then this really kind of weird question came up. Good lot, good lot, good latte. I still want to call him good latte. This congressman says to, to the CEO of Google, Hey, should competing political candidates be charged the same effective ad rates to reach prospective voters? And what he's getting at here is he and he talked about this. Well, when 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 people advertise on television or through traditional print media, there are laws about. I'm not I'm not saying these laws should exist. I'm just saying what does exist. There's laws about what these networks can charge in terms of uh, advertising for Republicans or Democrats or any political. Um, candidate. And those rules, I think, are basically they have to be the same, right? You can't charge Democrats more than Republicans or vice versa or or presumably libertarians or, or anyone else with a political message or any other political candidate. It's got to be an even playing field. And of course, Good, Goodlot is upset that maybe there could be some different charging uh, in Google Ads because it's it's an entirely different beast that he apparently just doesn't understand how the free market works. So he says, hey, don't you think we should be charged the same? And Sundar goes on to explain. He basically is like, dude, it's a live auction, man. You're, you're voting on, like you're, you're bidding on, on keywords. You want to buy a keyword? I don't know how much it's going to cost. So if you want to buy expensive keywords, your ad's going to be more expensive. If you want to buy cheaper keywords, then then your ad spend will be less. Like it's a live auction. It's It's not... Democrats pay X and Republicans pay Y, or we tweak things based on candidates we like. It's just a freaking live auction. And so Goodlot, though, he doesn't understand this concept of a free market in bidding. And he says, well, does this result in difference in rates? And of course, you know, the CEO of Google tries to help him understand free markets a little bit. Like, well, it could, I guess, if you're bidding on that and it's cheaper and he's bidding on this and it's more expensive, then you'll have, you know, whatever. It's difference in rates. Uh, but uh, Goodlot either can't or won't understand uh, this very basic concept of uh, basically this live auction, which isn't biased. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't think Google intentionally like tries to see whether Alexandria Ocasio Cortez or Rand Paul is the one buying the the keywords and charge them differently. I guess if they did, then then maybe you could have an issue there. But that's not what's happening. Uh, what's happening is, as far as we know, what's happening is like people buy different 
keywords and those different keywords cost different rates depending on the price at the moment. So uh, anyway, kind of this weird grandstanding of like you're charging different rates, blah, 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 which is just stupid. So so let's move. So that was kind of, that was all the, all the notes I took on this guy's uh, opening questions here. So we moved to uh, Mr. Nadler. By the way, I did not take notes on whether these people asking the questions were Republicans or Democrats. Some of them it will be obvious. Some of them it's not obvious. I don't really care. I'm just relaying who asked questions and what those questions were. So Mr. Nadler brings up this um, bug in in Google+. And so in case you don't know, let's see if I can pull this up. There was recently, let's see if I've got this here. There was recently a, I guess a couple weeks ago, um, 52.5 million users were potentially affected by this data breach, um, which comes basically just a month after uh, 500,000 users' data were exposed in the last leak with respect to Google+. And Google+, says the leak is blamed, there's this bug, and and, uh, they said it was fixed within a week after they discovered the bug. Anyway, and Google+, I believe, is being shut down anyway, so... But so he asked about this Google Plus leak and what legal obligations does the company have in disclosing uh, bugs and you know Sundar kind of said oh, I think we have seventy two hours I don't know blah 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 but then he started going into well um, hey do you know how much Russians this is the you can tell this guy's like a, you can tell this is from a Democrat because he says do you know how much Russians exploited YouTube two years ago so this is the kind of that that stupid narrative right that Russians somehow massively influenced the election uh, through bots or whatever it is. So he he says, hey, do you know how much they did this? How much was it exploited? YouTube was exploited a lot, right? How much was it? And Sundar says, well, we found two main ad accounts that were linked to Russia, and they advertised for it. They spent money, and they spent about uh, $4,700 total. So there was some improper activity, but it was kind of limited there. Um, so then he says, well, what about all the white supremacy and extremism on YouTube? And, of course, Sundar, um, he's, you know, the CEOs, especially of large companies, are politicians to some extent uh, in, in how they have to answer things. Remember, Sundar is not really speaking to Congress. He's speaking to his shareholders predominantly, right? So he's got to have answers that are, are very well thought out. He's got to be careful what he says. So he basically just says, well, we remove violations of hate speech. Now, there's a whole, uh, this opened up maybe, I don't know if this was the cause, but this opened up a can of worms around hate speech. But, um, you know, there is this whole concern. YouTube does the same thing that Twitter and other companies do. They have this definition of hate speech that they selectively apply to people that they, um, that they don't like, it seems like. So anyways, Sindar's answer is, well, we remove violations of hate speech. But he doesn't specifically address uh, what Nadler was talking about. And so then we, my, my notes here move on to the, the next three people are um, basically all talking about bias here. And the first one is um, <clears throat> Representative Smith from Texas, and he is concerned about, quote, muting uh, of conservative voices and manipulation of search results. And he cites, he cites this thing um, I guess he did something. 96% of search results for Trump were from left-wing sources. I think he's setting some study. 
Um, and he says, political bias is now programmed into the con- uh, company's culture. And, uh, you know, Mr. Mr. Pachai says, well, we have sources from the right and the left and blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, and Mr. Smith says, hey, would you allow a third party to study Google's bias here? And um, Pachai kind of says, well, I don't, you know, there, there's this process here. We, you know, there's there not a bias. And Mr. Smith is like, I disagree. So then I'm going to move to, I'm going to do all three of these people, and then I'm going to address this. So that was the first one talking about bias. The second one was Miss um, Lofgren. I believe she's a Democrat from San Jose. Um, and she talked about some partnering with the city crap first because, uh, I don't know, it was uh, pandering to her constituents. Will you, she was like, will you help provide housing for the additional employees that you're going to hire in San Jose, which is like, Thanks for giving people jobs. Will you now give them houses? I'm like, yes, but he is helping with housing by giving them paychecks uh, so they can afford housing. I don't understand what her complaint was there, but whatever. Um, but then she brings up this point. She says, well, if you Google the word idiot, which I did during the testimony because it was interesting. She says, if you Google the word idiot, pictures of Donald Trump come up. Why is that? So I think she's giving him a process. She's giving Pachai a process to uh, uh, a not a process, an excuse to explain the process here. And he he basically says, well, this is kind of this compilation of what users are generating. Like, we just kind of go see what people are, you know, people are tagging these pictures and what's going on, and we just kind of collate that algorithmically. There's not, like, we don't we don't have something that's like, oh, if it's Trump, we can, you know, he's, he's tagged with idiot. Like, he's they're just crawling the web, seeing how people are, are tagged. And obviously, Trump is very polarizing, and uh, the very vocal left uses the word idiot a lot to describe Trump, and so... Uh, that's that's what you would expect. In fact, I wonder if I'm going to go do a quick search live for something. Let's do let's do a search for let's do a search for literally Hitler. Literally Hitler. Uh, ah, we get some Hitler. And we get Trump. Oh, there's a picture of Hillary Clinton, it looks like, or someone. And there's Bernie Sanders. Oh, that's not Hillary. That's Angela Merkel. Anyway, he explains, look, this is just an algorithmic process. Uh, that's why it shows up. It might not be, you know, in a year from now, it might not be Donald Trump that shows up when you Google idiot. It might be something else. And he actually cites an interesting stat. He says every day, 15% of the searches that Google sees are brand new, which to me is an astounding stat. If you think about it, you'd think, you know, everyone has to, must have asked almost every question by now. It's like, what new searches could there possibly be? But every day, 15% of the searches they see are new. If I understood that correctly, that's quite a that's quite a stat. So anyway, so uh, that was Miss Lofgren giving... Uh, Sundar Pichai and a, 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 an avenue for explaining, hey, this is algorithmic. There's not bias here. But then uh, Mr. Chabot from Ohio, who I believe is a Republican, uh, he cites some examples of things that he thinks are bias. And it's amazing how much like grandstanding there is here in these hearings. But anyway... Uh, of course he cares about his stupid freaking bill. He, he had some bill called the American Health Care Act that I guess he was involved in. And he was virtually every article that we, on, on, you know, I Googled my bill and everything about it was an attack on our bill. 
And it wasn't until the third or fourth page that there was positive stuff on my bill, right? And then he said the same thing about a Republican tax bill. He says uh, the tax cut bill, article after article, attacking the plan, he says, right? And then he kind of mocks Google and he said, well, I understand, you know, your defense is the algorithm made us do it. But I don't buy that. How do you explain the apparent bias? Right? So he's really concerned about these unbiased uh, results here. And, you know, on the heels of these three, Sindar's response, I don't remember Sindar's response. I'm sure it was political and, uh, you know, hey, we don't we have an unbiased process, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I, I think I think we need to take a step back here because. First of all, let me say I do sympathize with the plight of conservatives in dealing with big tech and the media. And in some ways that I think Google specifically is is problematic uh, are really around their hate speech policy. And similar to how Twitter does things, YouTube has a, a policy that they, I believe, selectively enforce and... They shut down conservative channels much more than leftist channels, although I'm sure they shut down some leftist channels as well. Um, but they, they appear to be biased in the application of their hate speech policy. And that's going to happen basically wherever you have a hate speech policy, because hate speech, as much as Sindar over and over again said, uh, we clearly define hate speech as A, B, and C, blah, 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 inciting violence. Sure, but... You know, it's like it's like we clearly define hate speech with foggy term, foggy term, foggy term. It's like, well, it's not that clear, right? If it's a bunch of fog and that's the clear definition of hate speech, you get a bunch, bunch of fog at the end of the day, which gives them a lot of wiggle room to selectively apply their hate speech rules. So I do think there's issues with Google. However, I think the conservatives here are, you know, as much as I distrust Google's political ideology and their application of hate speech rules and all of that stuff, which I do. I think going after them for page rank stuff and Google News rank stuff, uh, I think is naive, and I don't think it's Google's fault. And the re- there's a basic reason for this. If you imagine Google as a perfectly objective search engine, right? If you imagine that um, they are crawling the web and crawling uh, all the kind of major media outlets for news stories on a particular topic and presenting them whenever you search for something based on and presenting them based on like popularity, basically, which is what Google does. Like which which ones are people thinking are more valuable, right? So ideally, Google would be able to kind of crawl all the sources and then um, – and I think this is what they're attempting to do, and then kind of put the most relevant ones, relevant being kind of this mix of popularity and slash approval sort of from from the community as a whole, right? And they're going to crawl these sources and they're going to put the, the links up there. Well, if you are in a world in which most of the journalism is leftist, if you're in a world where most of the journalists are Democrats, Google is going to be drawing naturally from, from a pool of left-leaning stories because most stories are left-leaning stories because most journalists 
and most major media outlets are left-leaning. And so if Google was perfectly unbiased, you would expect to see bias in the the results that are shown that course, especially for news, right? So when you look for news, you would expect to see bias that reflects the bias that's in mainstream media already because you'd expect a kind of broad sample and accurate representation of what mainstream media is talking about. And if mainstream media is on the left, then that's what you would expect to see. And just for those of you who aren't maybe haven't paid attention to this. I pulled up some numbers. Um, in fact, I might even try and put something up on the screen here. Hold on. Let's see. All right. So what you should see on the screen right now, um, and I know last show I talked about what was on the screen without really describing it, so I did a disservice to people that were just listening. So I'll describe what you're seeing. This is a... Uh, it's a measure, I forget even where this particular graph comes from, but I'll, I'll talk about a few different polls in a moment. Oh, I think this is a 2013 poll from ABC News and Washington Post. They did a national poll of 1,005 adults. And what they see is the percentage of journalists who are Republican is shrinking over time. And the percentage, actually the percentage of that are Democrat is shrinking, but less quickly. And independent seems to be uh, growing. And then there's other, I don't really know what independent means here. I didn't look into it. But basically, this this is a bar graph for those of you who can't see this. This is a bar graph. And there's uh, a few different data points. There's, there's five data points, one from 1971, 1982, 1992, 2002, and 2013. And the percentage of Republicans in journalism, so these are journalists uh, who identify as Republican, has gone from 25.7 in 1971 to 7.1% in 2013, and presumably has continued to decline, because 2013 obviously is five years ago. So, and and we're still at 28.1% Democrats there, right? And then independents at 50.2 and other at 14.6. So clearly there aren't a lot of Republicans in just by this poll, there aren't a lot of Republicans in uh, in journalism, and so. Uh, but this is not the only study. So let's see. We'll pull up another one here. Uh, the Center for Public Integrity (CPI) they uh, identified th- about 430 individuals who were working in journalism who uh, contributed to um, uh, Trump or Clinton between January 2015 and August 2016. And uh, after doing this, they there was a total of $396,000 that was contributed, and 96% of that money went to Clinton, and only 4% to Trump. Media Research Center. <clears throat> uh, they use federal campaign finance data collected uh, by the Center for Responsive Politics, to identify donors that work for ABC, CBS, NBC, and New York Times, or the Washington Post, uh, between 2008 and 2016. And this, uh, the data focused on their partisan preference from the donors, not the amount of the contributions. So the previous stat was the amount of the contributions. This is just on the party preference. 
Um, of the 122 donors, 94% donated to, you guessed it, Democrats. Uh, MSNBC, they analyzed uh, what they were calling the partisan divide in donations from newsroom anchors, reporters, and editors, uh, identified in FEC documents between January 2004 and the first quarter of 2007. Uh, of the 143 journalists in their pool, 87% donated to Democrats and liberal causes. So, and, and I think most conservatives know this. This isn't new. But if you are conservative, uh, you are dealing with a world of mainstream media which is biased against you. Uh, that's just the way it is. It's why Fox News has become successful, even though I don't like Fox News a lot. There is a need, There was a need for Fox News in the market. It's why there's a need for Breitbart in the market, uh, Daily Caller. I'm not saying that, uh, you know, I've, ideally, obviously, we would have nice objective sources about everything, and, and there would be like lots of objective journalism, but there's just not. Uh, and so, you know, you end up with journalism some rising journalism on the right, but it still hasn't replaced the mainstream. And the mainstream journalism, uh, to a large extent, is still controlled by uh, the progressive agenda. And so blaming Google for this, it's like blaming, it's like, uh, I'm trying to think of it. It's like, it's like blaming your, your, uh, your MRI for your cancer. It's like, yeah, that's that's what's there. They're just showing you what's there. That's all they're doing. They're showing you what's there. Again, I'm not talking about their YouTube policy or anything else, but in terms of search results and news, that's just there. That's just what's there. So um, I, I think it's it's pretty ridiculous to, to blame, to go after Google on this. There's other reasons to get upset at Google. Um, this, that's not one of them. So... I think conservatives should would do well to just stop bitching about search results and that kind of crap and how much you might pay for uh, keywords that you're in a, in, a, in a free market auction uh, when, when you're trying to advertise. Uh, that is, first of all, that's you know, complaining about that stuff is not a conservative position, uh, at least if you think of conservatism as limited government free market, which I am generously... Uh, I'm generously calling conservatives limited government and free market. All right, so then then we went to another rep, uh, Ms. Jackson Lee. And she was very concerned about hate speech, videos that incite violence. Uh, she asked about demographics at YouTube and diversity there. And uh, specifically, she was looking at, like, she was asking questions about, like, well, how diverse is when she says diverse, she doesn't mean ideologically. She meant, uh, I presumably race or skin color or whatever. Um, she was asking Sundar about how much diversity there was at YouTube and that kind of thing. Wasn't really anything too excited, exciting there. Um, after, after her came a guy named Mr. Isa, and he again brought this bias question up and he did something I think even worse I don't this is this should not be a a conservative tactic 
at least it it wasn't when uh when I first learned what conservatism was decades ago apparently that's changed but he says well look miss jackson lee just talked about measuring outcomes with respect to minority representation right um and he says hey sundar do you think outcomes based measurement is is appropriate is it the best thing to do here and sundar kind of gives a tap dancey answer like most of his answers here and he says well i think he kind of says something like i'll take that as a yes or i'll assume you agree here I think he said you got her point, right? And so he says, well, if you're going to apply outcomes-based metrics to minorities, you should you should apply outcomes-based uh, outcomes-based metrics for uh, including conservatives in search and ads and bias against conservatives. You should use outcomes-based analytics to check this, right? And this is horrifying because for the exact reason that outcomes-based analysis is bad for anything uh stuff that conservatives don't like like you know minority analysis and, and you know looking at the outcomes of how many people of a particular group are represented in some company the same reason that conservatives would argue that that's bad it's the exact same reason that outcomes based analysis is a bad way to to look at whether conservatives are being uh biased uh, against in, in Google. Again, like I mentioned before, if Google, you know, if you want to, if you look at this and say, hey, I think there's a, there's a difference in outcome. Well, the reason doesn't mean it's biased at Google. It could be that the news sources and the internet generally, uh, at least a lot of the mainstream media and a lot of these, these sources are biased against conservatives. Uh, we know most of academia is biased against conservatives. I didn't pull up the the numbers for academia, Republicans in academia, but uh, they're just as abysmal as the numbers for Republicans in journalism. They might be worse, actually. And certainly academia is even farther left and more progressive. So look, you're conservatives, guys, you're in this world where the, the mainstream and academia, they're, they're against you. That's why you're seeing bias. It's not, it's not some secret algorithm. There's no like, you know, if Ted Cruz, then bash statement in some search algorithm at Google. So anyway, Pachai, unfortunately, he agrees, oh yeah, we should look at outcomes, right? Um, and so, and and again, this guy, uh, what's his name? Mr. Issa, he, he says, you know, hey, you know, we have got laws to protect minorities based on outcomes, so we should do it for conservatives. And, you know, not only is this horrible for uh, the reasons I just mentioned, looking at outcomes generally is bad. But it also now sets up this paradigm of this two-party system, right? I'm not a conservative, and I'm not a liberal. And I know there's a lot of people like me who don't think they fit on that. I don't. We don't fit on this scale of conservative, liberal. We're somewhere else. I'm a libertarian-type, limited-government anarcho-capitalist, right? I'm not on that scale. I don't want wars. I don't want a drug war, and I don't want wars in Iraq. I don't want corporate welfare, and I don't want personal welfare, right? People that are that have those viewpoints, I'm pro-gay marriage, right? There's a lot of people that are in the category that I'm in who don't fit on this spectrum. And part of the problem is we're in this system controlled by people that view politics on this spectrum of, 
of left versus right, and it's the Democrats and the Republicans. And that's the paradigm that they want. That's the, those are, that's the lens through which they view everything, right? And that's the lens through which they are trying to get Google to view everything. And, and they're trying to now, now they want to apply these standards to how Google search results turn up or their news results turn up. And you know, how are we supposed to measure what's correct? How can someone say this particular set of viewpoints, this distribution of viewpoints is the, is the accurate representation of the distribution of viewpoints in America, right? The only way to do that is just to let people have their viewpoints and see, see what bubbles up, not to, to kind of start tweaking and saying, well, you know, we don't have enough uh, conservative people that like my act over here. We've got too many people that like the Obama thing over there, and we need some more of that. And, ooh, look, there's not a balance here. Like, you know, there's, there's – what if you hate both your law and Obama's law, Mr. Republican dude who is just complaining about it, right? I mean, there's no, there's no room for that. It sets up this dynamic uh, which basically keeps Republicans and Democrats in power by framing the narrative as Republican versus Democrat, conservative versus liberal. And – you know, that does a disservice to everyone else, but it's certainly what those in power want. And so, you know, that's the dangerous path that they're going down by setting up this uh, kind of look at outcomes and we should now, you know, work to make outcomes match someone's idea of what the outcomes should look like. Um, and so anyway, uh, I think Issa ended his inquiries by asking Sundar commit to to commit to improving tools to teach people how to protect privacy um you know i i i don't think google should be compelled to teach people how to protect their privacy but uh apparently a lot of people think that's google's job look i don't use google phones i have an iphone I, there's a lot i don't like about apple but apple is much better about my privacy than than google is and I'm aware of that, and I'm very conscious about my privacy. Some people aren't, so don't be. If you're not conscious about your privacy and you don't care to learn, then you know, then you get your privacy. Then, then you give up your privacy, right? If you're, gonna, I mean, that's the way it is. We can't, we can't uh, cater to the lowest common denominator of people, which we will see. There are some lowest common denom- denominators coming up next uh, in the form of elected representatives. Case in point, Representative Cohen. He um, he really, I think, is the poster child for old of old, out of touch old guys, right? He was like, I don't understand all the ways to manage my data. Uh, how about we have an online school? You know, not like Comcast. I mean, you know, and he like something easy i want to you know and so sundar is like well you know we have these online things you can go look up if you have you know questions about privacy we're trying to make it easy for people to understand and he's like no 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 i I want individuals to answer the phones not online and and you know it was it was like this old like clueless guy who's like you know i don't understand my newfangled phone device i don't understand the privacy i want to talk to someone and they can't have an accent which he basically said, like, not, you know, not someone I can't understand on the phone, but, you know, like uh, an American. Uh, it's kind of how I took it. Uh, just totally ridiculous. Um, uh, 
embarrassing. But that was his. Uh, that was his. His rant, and he was really concerned about that. Like lots of people don't understand privacy. Um, yeah, maybe they don't. So, so don't complain. Uh, he also then talked about um, authoritarian regimes, specifically. He mentioned Russian bots to manipulate YouTube algorithms and restrict accessibility of Democrat content and human. Oh, I guess he's a Democrat and human rights groups. Um, I, I wasn't aware that this was happening, but I guess people were like, I guess there's some bots he was worried about that are like downvoting certain content, and so it doesn't get seen. Um, and he he's claiming that some authoritarian regimes do this. Uh, probably specifically, what I was uh, what I was gathering from what he was saying was that there's human rights groups who are putting up content, and the authoritarian regimes that this content criticizes are ha- are having like paying for bots to like downvote it so it doesn't get seen. Okay, I mean that's you know that's certainly a problem is it google's problem i would say it's not google's problem uh except in that it's in google's best interest to uh weed out bots which i think google already knows because they want authentic interaction and and if it's just a bunch of bots downvoting something that's not good for google so they already have an incentive to fix this but he specifically was like well what are you doing to address this problem um and uh you know I think Sundar gave kind of kind of a politician's answer about, well, you know, we have algorithms and we're constantly fighting this battle and blah, blah, blah. So, um, oh, and the last thing this guy said, uh, <laughs> which is also funny, right? The, the, the conservatives are doing this, but I guess this guy's a Democrat, so he was also doing this. Uh, the conservatives are like, hey, I looked for my bill online and, uh, you know, the Google search results were negative until page three or whatever, right? <laughs> So he's mad about that because the mainstream media didn't like his thing, right? This guy is like, you're overusing conservative organizations. And he's like, I was on TV like four times over the weekend or eight times or whatever it was, some number of times. And it didn't show up in the search results. So I went and did the search results just while he was talking. And uh, and it dawned on me as I was doing the search results. Like, of course it didn't because the search results are, are print media uh, for which they can, uh, it's easy to search, but uh, there aren't like, he mentioned like I was on MSNBC or whatever. I'm like, yeah, those those results aren't showing up for anyone because uh, the the results that he was talking about were based on actual articles, uh, and so it doesn't include video content. But anyway, he was very upset about that, right? So he's upset that uh, he thinks that Google is overusing conservative news organizations because uh, I guess the Daily Caller or someone else showed up in his his uh, when he searched for his own name. But uh, don't worry, politicians are very concerned about their own bills and their own uh, image when searching on Google. So they got your back. So then we go to uh, Representative Jim Jordan. Generally, I think Jim Jordan, I like a lot about Jim Jordan, uh, and I generally think he's a lot of fun to listen to because he's usually, uh, he presses issues. This one, I I thought he was kind of a weak issue, but... uh, he complained that, the, I guess, the day after the 2016 election, uh, this woman named Eliana Murillo, who is the head of multicultural marketing at Google, she emailed out this thing saying, um, you know, they, she, they tried, but it wasn't enough for Hillary to win. Quote, we pushed to get out the Latino vote with our features in key states. And she pointed out that we support partners like Voto Latino to pay for rides to the polls in key states. 
And Jim was like, yeah, it's great that you got people out to vote, but in key states sounds like it's biased because you're like, what is key states and blah, 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 and why don't you do it everywhere and yada, yada. Basically, after like a lot of back and forth, uh, Pachai just kind of said, because uh, Jim was really pressing uh, Sundar Pachai about this. And he was like, is this, is this true? Is this what Google did? And blah, blah, blah. And, you know, eventually he kind of backed Pachai into a corner. So Pachai kind of had to say, no, she's wrong. And the company doesn't do anything like that. So uh, I think that kind of fizzled out from Jim Jordan's perspective. But then, of course, Mr. Johnson, the next questioner, he, he gets in there and he, of course, thinks he's going to jump on this now and uh, he's going to mock Jim Jordan. And so he kind of, he's got a little gleam in his eye. He's like, hey, so is that email that she allegedly sent, is it real or is that even fake news? Wink, wink, right, Sundar? That's fake news, those fucking Republicans. Uh, but, of course, Pachai just said, uh, no, she sent the email. So uh, so he moved on. That didn't work. So uh, then he wanted to talk about the Google Plus uh, data breach. And I mentioned some of these numbers before, so I won't go over into that. I think it's fine. Fine questions to ask about the data breach. That's fine. Um, then he kind of asked – there's a lot of really, really confusing misunderstanding from congressmen – or, and and women they'll ask questions and they'll get answered i mean sometimes sometimes the uh sundar is evading and i get that but a lot of times the congress people just like they're just clueless so he says how do you differentiate yourself from companies that sell user data <laughs> and sundar says well we don't sell user data and he <laughs> the guy responds, but how do you differentiate yourselves from the companies that do sell user data i'm like I, he just fucking answered your question dude um Anyway, so then we go to um, this guy, Mr. Poe. I think his name is Ted Poe. And he was very – so there's some things – there's some mock-worthy times. This, this guy, you could definitely mock some of the stuff he was, he was doing. And I was going to – I'm going to mock him a little bit, but uh, I will – there's a caveat here. I was going to mock him on he, – he really freaked out about how much Google knows about privacy. I'm oh, sorry, pri- private data. Uh, that Google tracks. He was very concerned about that. But, um, and I was gonna, I was, I was thinking like, yeah, he probably doesn't give a crap about the NSA. Actually, shout out to some, I rarely have anything nice to say about congressmen, but this guy actually, uh, I looked up some stuff. He actually gave Snowden credit, said we wouldn't know about this NSA stuff if uh, Snowden hadn't released it and seems to be very against the NSA stuff, which is great. So, but anyway, he, he kind of did this, this other like, he asked, does Google track my movements? So this this is another one of these, like, I don't understand technology kind of things. And this guy deserves to be mocked for this. So he's, he waves his phone, right? He's like, ah, does Google track my movement if I go sit with my Democratic colleague over there? Yes or no? It's a yes or no question, right? Which he's wrong about. It's not a yes or no question. But he asks this, does it track my movements if I go sit? Just answer yes or no. And so Sundar says, uh, not by default, I don't know. You might have installed some app on your phone that would, right? Obviously, if he installed a, you know, fitness app or something that was, you know, some hyperlocation uh, tracker, then it would, right? So Sundar's answer is, well, not by default. We don't, but uh, I don't know. Did did you install an app? I'd have to know. I'd have to know details. And so the guy, of course, in his, you know, typical politician grandstanding is like, so yes, 
Google does know. It's it's not a trick question. You make he basically is like you make a lot of money. You make like a hundred million dollars, so you ought to be able to answer the question. Does Google know? Yes or no? Do they know if I move over to there? And so you know, again, Sundar is like, look, without knowing more details, dude, I don't know. So the guy gets even more crazy. He's like, does Google know? Right. And so Sundar's like, I, I generally, you know, dude, I don't know. Right. I don't know if your fucking phone is like, I don't know what you've installed in your goddamn phone, you idiot. Except for he says it much more nicely than that, which is why he's the CEO of Google and not me. But uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. It's your phone. So then then this guy's like, I'm shocked that you don't know. Uh, which is just like, it's such bull crap, right? He's either a moron or he's just grandstanding. So uh, so then he says, then we get to the heart of the matter for a lot of these guys, which is like, hey, what about my pet project? Right? So uh, he says, hey, you know, we don't have a data privacy law in the U.S., do we? And Sindar says no. Now, I would, I would argue that uh, we do. It's called the Fourth Amendment. Um, but I think they meant a data privacy law with respect to private corporations. So Sindar says no. And he says, well, are you familiar with my legislation? Of course. <laughs> what about my little pet project, right? Sundar says no. And uh, then he's like, well, I'm outraged that we don't protect privacy. And most Americans don't know what this phone can do. He gives a rant about privacy, says that he's going to send Sundar his, his legislation. Um, and, and then he switches to... Hey, by the way, what do you view as, what does Google view as objectionable content? And it's a weird transition. And Sundar's like, well, wait, what? Are we switching now to the, okay, got it. Uh, and they, they have this discussion on hate speech. And um, yeah, again, it's this kind of hate speech bias discussion, blah, 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 that we've talked about. All right, so then we go to Mr. Deutsch. Um, and he says, hey, you know, um, Zuck was here recently. He says that uh, Facebook's accountable for their content. So do some other people. <clears throat> Is Google accountable for their content? And Sundar gives a nice little tap dancey answer saying how they want to pr- provide good results to people. Uh, and <laughs> Mr. Deutsch says, uh, I'll take that as a yes. Of course he will. So um, he then picks up his phone. A lot of people like were... I hate when they do this, like, well, on my phone, I do blah, blah, blah. What about it? I'm like, I don't, it's your freaking phone. Anyway, so he picks, here's all the things on my phone that are paused. And he's like, you know, it's like uh, collecting data is paused on my YouTube and my whatever, right? Okay. So he, he lists a bunch of things that are, that are paused. And then he says, but that doesn't mean you're not collecting data on me, right, Sundar? And of course, you know, Pachai's like, well, it means we're not collecting data on you in those categories. You fucking moron. He didn't say the last part. Uh, and the guy's like, yeah, but you could collecting data on other stuff. I'm like, yes, obviously. Those are the things that are turned off. Do you have anything turned on? Did you, did you allow it somewhere? Maybe. So then they have this discussion about uh, data and Google getting location data and whether they get data from advertisers um, and like, you know, all the stuff that they could possibly get, what kind of, what's the difference between personal information. And if you had uh, just kind of some raw data, you could actually get personal info, even though it's not, you don't get it directly. So for example, 
Uh, you know, if you just had my location data, for example, you could tell where I lived because you'd see where my phone sits for most of the time and be like, oh, that's that's where he lives. Uh, and then you could probably figure out where, you know, who I am and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, it's there was no great answer to this. They agreed to do some follow up. This is this is a much bigger issue than Google alone. Um, but, uh, you know, there we go. So uh, this guy comes back, actually, and asks some more questions later. Um he ba- he says, does Google collect information on the phone when there's no connectivity? Um, and basically, obviously, that's not possible to directly do. But what what he means is like, is the phone collecting information when there's no connectivity, and then you know packaging it up and sending it as soon as there is connectivity? They have this conversation about that. All right. By the way, Sundar says no. Generally, it's not collecting information when you don't have connectivity. But all right. Then we move to Mr. Marino, who tells Sundar that Google has a responsibility. Actually, I think he might even tell Sundar that he personally has a responsibility to American people to make sure that he educates them accurately. And to make and this is the other thing that really bothers me, right? And to make sure that Google stays in, quote, the middle of the road, right? Again, it's setting up this political narrative of, like, there's these guys and there's these guys and you have to be in the middle. And, like, it's ignoring all these voices that aren't either one of these there's other voices, and just because you're in the middle, it's this, um, what is it? Isn't the Aristotelian, like, uh, the fallacy of the Aristotelian middle, right? The Aristotelian mean. Like, just because it's in the middle doesn't mean it's it's good. It doesn't mean it's objective. And it certainly doesn't mean it's it's uh, kind of comprehensive in, in, in its in its coverage. So, anyway, he, he rants that people don't read anymore. I think he's talking about Twitter, but he doesn't say Twitter directly. Um, and he, you know, you have a responsibility to, you know, he basically says people will believe anything they, they read, uh, anything that's put, that's put out by anyone, they'll believe it. You have a responsibility to educate them. I don't believe, uh, in the government defining what's right. Or, so this is another thing. It's this weird, like, uh, it's a threat, but it's veiled, right? You have a responsibility for the truth. I don't think the government should define what's right and wrong. We're depending on you, but if you don't, mm-mm. Then we're going to do it. Uh, so anyway, and then he talks about uh, this, this weird hypothetical thing. Like, would you share information with the Chinese government if you were doing stuff? And, you know, basically. And, and like, what can you do to eliminate hacks from other countries? It's like, you know, stupid stuff like that. Uh, Google, by the way, uh, just to touch on the China issue, uh, Sindar said several times they're not planning on doing anything in China really right now. So, um <clears throat> Then Miss Bass uh, had the floor, and she... Uh, talked about bots and troll farms. She said, what are you going to do to eradicate online trolls? I don't know that that should be a a goal, but uh, online trolls are sometimes fun to watch. But uh, I guess trolls are now bad, uh, according to Ms. Bass, and and people shouldn't be allowed to troll. Um, She talks about Russian bots, and she says, what about the Russians? They ginned up white supremacists, and they stirred racial tensions, and... And for the 2016 election, this was a big problem. And and Sundar basically says, eh, we didn't really see a lot of that activity on Google's platforms. Sorry. Sorry to burst your bubble. Um, and uh, she basically says, like, you know, I want you to, you know, you have to make sure you're uh, adopting policies that ensure that the voice of online creators can expand. But she's specifically talking about people of color. She was very concerned about uh, people of color. And to make sure that Google was, I don't know, she she made it sound like, 
they're marginalized if Google doesn't like figure out how to talk to them in some way. I don't understand it exactly, but uh, I think they both recognize that uh, the existence of YouTube was good for marginalized groups because uh, they don't have to go through any existing power structures. They can just put their content up online. Okay. Uh, then Mr. Collins comes in. He talks about how perception is reality. Whether or not you're doing these things, perception is reality. Um, and then he proceeds to ask, like, do you collect name, age, and address? And for every one of these answers, Sundar's answer is like, if X, Y, Z, then yes. Like, if you've enabled blah, then yes, we do. So he's like, do you collect this? Do you collect search information? Do you collect GPS? And every answer is like, if you do, if you enable A, B, C, then yes, we collect this. Okay. Um, And then um, he says, well, what about data like Google Docs and email? Can you access that? Which I think is such a stupid question. So when you have Gmail... Or Google Docs, Google is paying, like Google is providing you with a server. You are buying a server and a service from them where you're storing their information. Of course they can access your information, right? Sundar says, obviously we don't. We have policies in place, which is the correct thing to do, right? It's like any organization, you know, it's every IT guy shouldn't be able to just go read everyone else's documents without going through some process or policy, right? But... Of course they can access it. Why are people, like, he acted surprised by this. Like, of course, yes. If you have Gmail, Google can access your Gmail. And they should have policies in place so that that doesn't happen by random people at the company, but only in cases where you need it to happen or they're helping you for something. Fine. But anyway, so he asks, he asks that. Um, another example of just this weird lack of understanding of tech. Um, you know, he asks, uh, you know, he said basically like how much other information outside of these things are you outside of, uh, you know, you're collecting any other information, blah, blah, blah. I won't get into the details there. Um, and how many people understand that they can cut off this access to their information. And Sundar cites another interesting stat, which I think is, is quite fascinating and, and actually way more people than I thought. He says 20 million people a day make changes to their privacy settings. I, you know, 20 million isn't, I mean, it's not a lot when you're looking at the whole world of 7 billion, but it's kind of a lot. I mean, it's a, it's every day they make changes to your privacy settings. That's quite a lot, right? It means that, um, you know, in what, uh, 12, 13 days, everyone in America, including babies are making changes to their privacy settings. That's, that's pretty good. Um, and so anyway, uh, he's, you know, Mr. Uh, who am I talking about? Mr. Collins, I guess. He goes on to say, uh, well, people don't, some people don't understand. Um, why does Google need all this data? And what do you do to minimize? And, you know, Sundar kind of gives the, look, we store the data that they asked us to, like Gmail. Um, and he kind of goes on and says, well, people don't understand that this collected info can be used against them. He's probably right. You know, in his defense, uh, in Mr. Collins's defense, people probably don't understand that this data is collected and can be used against them. Um, it's a problem. It's a problem between uh, Google's users and Google. Uh, not really a problem between the House Judiciary Committee and Google because some people don't mind, right? I mean, we have, uh, we have an Amazon Alexa here and we turn it off usually because we don't want it listening. And supposedly it only listens after the wake word, but but also it supposedly listens after the wake word forever until you turn it off. So we often have our Alexa off. It's off now, which is why it's not responding when I say Alexa. But 
some people don't. Some people don't care, right? And they just leave it on for convenience. And that's fine. Uh, that's a personal choice. So anyway, uh, Mr. Ciceline came next. Uh, he claims that Google favored their own products and services over rival products and services and page ranks. Nah. Sundar said they don't. I don't know. Uh, next we go to, I think this guy was a Republican, Mr. Gatz, Gates, G-A-E-T-Z. And uh, he just, I, he was so annoying. Uh, so he, he asked Sundar, have you launched investigations into political bias of your employees? And uh, Sundar kind of gave this non-answer directly, but said, look, they can't change algorithms easily. Like, we have processes in place. And he goes in and says, well, there's a resist group in your employee chat rooms. Did you know that? And Sundar's like, no, but look, we have procedures for changing algorithms. Um, they can't, like, anyone can't just change the algorithms. Um, and so he, he points out that, look, look, you have employees with biased opinions. And Sundar correctly, I think, says, like, look, we let people express their opinions. We're, we're, you know, that's fine. Um, they can they can express their opinions, and uh, but we've built a company with procedures to prevent bias from getting into the algorithms. And uh, the thing that was really annoying to me was this guy didn't seem to understand that you can set up a system that assumes that there's bad actors, right? Which is what Google claims to have done, and I believe probably has done at least with respect to search algorithm. I, I don't know that that's true for their hate speech review, which is a little bit more manual and foggy, as I mentioned before, for, for YouTube. But in terms of their, their search algorithm, it's, uh, it's not impossible to set up relatively robust checks and balances to make sure that search algorithm changes are unbiased. And, uh, you know, it's, it's possible that they're not, but you can set up an organization. When you've got an organization like that, you have to assume you've got some bad actors, which is why you have policies around like, yeah, maybe there's some group of employees who is in this quote, quote resist group, right? Um, and they, they want to do things, but they, they can't, right? They, they shouldn't have the power because the system's been set up so that they, they can't just go make changes to, um, to the search algorithm. So anyway, uh, he kind of goes on. He's like, well, if you assume people can act in bad faith. Why don't you investigate this resist group? Which is just a shitty uh, big brother type of question. Like, leave them alone. So there's a resist group at Google. I don't agree with them, but leave them alone. Let them, let them have their, they can, you know, meet for lunch and bitch about Trump. That's fine, right? I don't know why they need to be investigated. And they might even want to do stuff, that, but they can't, right? And I guess if they're actively working against company policy sure but you'd have to have some the existence of the resist group isn't enough evidence that there's people working against company policy um you'd have to see like specific instances of like hey let's go do abc which we're not allowed to do okay that that should be investigated but i don't think sundar would disagree with that that should be investigated um then we go to mr swalwell i'm almost done here i think then we go to mr small swalwell uh, he basically says do we need a national privacy law and, and sundar's like yes um and then he's, uh, hey, um, he brings up this, you're putting your own results for local businesses above your organic, uh, kind of organic web index stuff. Sundar uh, kind of disagrees and says we do the best we can there. We don't do that. Then we go to Mr. Johnson. Johnson, this is another one of these veiled threats. He's like, well, we don't want to regulate you. But if you're guilty of censoring conservatives... I don't know. You're guilty until proven innocent. You got to prove to us that you're not censoring conservatives. 
Um, thanks for the guilty unto proven innocent there, guys. But that so that's and and he bit he bitches about this trusted flagger program. So Google has these trusted flaggers, and I think um, I think there and this, and he bitches about some automated uh, content removal here, and uh, he brings up this thing called perspective, which is which is a non-issue. So uh, and Sindar handled that, but he, then he talks about these trusted flaggers, which people who can flag content at YouTube, and he. He brings up why is Southern Poverty Law Center a trusted flagger? Um, and what criteria do you use when appointing trusted flaggers? And uh, Sundar doesn't really answer that question. He just says, yes, they are. We're happy to add conservative organizations. You know, uh, I think Southern Poverty Law Center shouldn't be a trusted anything. So uh, that's a problem. It's not, it's not the government's business, but uh, certainly we should question the, the objectivity of YouTube's hate speech application, uh, the application of their hate speech policies when SPLC is one of their flaggers. So then we go to Mr. Liu in California, from California, who basically uh, just ranted about how horrible Republicans are and basically said, um, look, this hearing's a waste of time. Google's protected by the First Amendment. Um, Republicans should, if they don't want bad news about themselves, stop doing things that people don't like. Uh, quote, he says, if you want positive search results, do positive things. Now, look, obviously there's disagreement about what positive things are, and that's the whole point. But, uh, you know, to a large extent, he's kind of right about this. Like, look, you live in a world where there's a lot of journalists who hate your guts. So that's what's going to show up in search results. Um, then we go to Mr. Biggs. He says, well, humans write algorithms, right? So how can we be assured that, uh, you know, well, <laughs> He basically is like, well, algorithms are algorithms, but, you know, algorithms, you keep hiding behind algorithms, but hum- humans write them, right? Don't they? It's like, yes, obviously humans write, write algorithms. Um, and then well, I'm not sure what the point of that was. And then he kind of says, well, uh, how can we be assured that foreign actors won't use the platform to influence things? I, I assume he means elections. Um, and, uh, you know, he's like, people use your products to try and manipulate that stuff. Therefore, it's a problem. Again, I'm not sure this is Google's problem. Um, you know, I think, uh, like I said, bots are a problem for Google, but they have every incentive to correct that. Um, interest, the most interesting thing here was uh, Mr. Biggs said, uh, he said, well, do no evil is a Google policy. <laughs> and Sundar said, it's the most, by the way, this is the most revelatory thing in the entire testimony. Uh, Sundar said, oh, well, I mean, uh, you know, do no evils. It's not, it's not really a policy. It's just a thing we say. It's not a policy. It's okay. Sundar, we all knew that do no evil wasn't actually a Google policy. Uh, man, then Mr. Raskin jumped in. He's talked about this fizzle drip conspiracy. I swear that's what it's called. Oh, frazzle, frazzle drip. I'd never heard of it. Uh, I didn't want to hear what he said about it. It was uh, horrible disgusting stuff that was just like, I don't know, why are you telling me? And he like, he was almost like fetishizing it. Cause he like, like they changed the topic and he like brought it up again. He's like, no, but there was pictures of like, it's like this snuff video thing. It's some thing with Hillary Clinton and Huma Abedin, uh, supposedly obviously fake kind of child sacrifice, weird stuff. Um, but he was like very interested in explaining it to us so that we really knew what was going on in those videos. Um, and he complains about conspiracy groups using YouTube to spread propaganda, right? Which, you know, there's a 
it's a lot of everything probably everything mr raskin said has ever been it's always been propaganda i mean almost everything he's ever said has probably been propaganda but um you know sindar points out uh, another interesting fact which i didn't know 400 hours of video are uploaded to youtube every minute that is a lot um and uh <clears throat> this uh raskin dude frazzle drip frazzle drip raskin can we make maybe we should just rename him frazzle drip raskin because that sounds like a harry potter evil character or something i don't know i'm not a big harry potter fan but uh it sounds like a fictional character frazzle drip raskin so frazzle drip raskin uh complains about conspiracy groups blah 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 and uh you know don't let republicans heckle you into playing favorites with trump these conspiracy groups on youtube are, are the big problem here and uh it's worth noting It's worth noting here that holding YouTube responsible for... So, a couple things. First of all, there is this effort to conflate... Oh, well, let's back up. So, there's there's this discussion of hate speech as speech that incites violence. Now, I, I get that hate speech is a foggy definition, but let's put that aside for a second. Let's imagine that it's a clearly definable, objectively definable thing about inciting violence and hate speech. And let's pretend that's that's clear. Conspiracies are not necessarily hate speech. Those are two different things. Conspiracies are just narratives that are unsubstantiated, not mainstream, could end up being true sometimes, mostly not, I think. But conspiracy just, conspiracies are just conspiracy theories. That's all they are. Conspiracy theories are just that. Conspiracy theories. Uh, conflating the... And, and look, saying like, oh, violent... Like, language that incites violence is dangerous. And then and throwing conspiracy theories, conflating those two things is extremely dangerous. Because what it means is, you know, vilifying... I don't... Vilifying conspiracy theories is really a way to control public thought. Right? People like Alex Jones, no matter how crazy his conspiracy theories are sometimes, they should be allowed to propagate their conspiracy theories. And people should be allowed to listen to them and agree with them or disagree or investigate or not. I get that there's a lot of kooky conspiracy theories out there. But that's free speech. There's like that. It might be dangerous from an ideological standpoint. I get you. You could argue that, like, well, a bunch of people will be duped by them. Yeah, sure, I guess. But that's free speech. That's not. That's nothing like inciting violence. Those are vastly different. And there's been this movement to conflate conspiracy theories. They throw them in the same category as like. Um, actual incitement of violence right claiming like let's kill all the blanks or whatever they they throw conspiracy theories in there and they use that broadly they use both of those things together as this this like conspiracy theories and other stuff like all together right and that's very dangerous and i think we need to be vigilant about protecting conspiracy theorists and conspiracy theories they are fine conspiracy theories are anything that the mainstream narrative that anything that runs counter to the mainstream narrative is a conspiracy theory but if you don't want this kind of uniparty monoculture kind of uh, big brother propaganda machine operating, you need to allow conspiracy theories to to 
to bubble and fester and and like sometimes there'll be grains of truth that come out sometimes they'll be all bullshit that's fine um but this it's a really dangerous path to start vilifying conspiracy theories and and that's actually one of the, the the really tragic things about the loss of Alex Jones on a lot of these media. It's it's that it's done in the name of getting rid of conspiracy theorists, and you know that's not a noble cause. Don't think you're noble for getting rid of conspiracy theorists. Uh, you're the opposite. Uh, so anyway, look, I think if you are going to start holding YouTube responsible for every video that's uploaded on YouTube all the time. Like if there's a conspiracy theory or someone does X or Y, if YouTube is going to be held responsible, um, then why can't we hold the government responsible for, uh, for criminals driving from one place to another in order to, you know, Hey, he got in, he got on the car, he got in the, on a government road and drove somewhere and shot someone like, therefore it's the government's fault. Cause he was on a road and the government provided the road. And yeah, most people that, provide, that get on the roads don't do any damage, but this guy did, and he was your responsibility, right? It's the same principle. So uh, you need to give YouTube a wide berth here. We can complain about their misapplication of hate speech and the foggy definition of hate speech, but you know, starting trying to hold YouTube responsible for this crap, uh, it's a real problem. All right, so let's see, where are we? Miss Handel is next. She talked about ridiculous stuff, asking like differences between Google Suite and Gmail and access to her data. Um, again, she was one of these like, oh my God, Google has access to my data. I'm like, yeah, you store it on their servers. What did you think? Um, then Representative Jay- Jayapal, um, she went into a rant about forced arbitration and she really doesn't like that Google uses forced arbitration for their employees in many cases. Um, I don't want to get into it. It's, I don't think super interesting. Also, it's just another overreach of government telling them what they, you know, telling companies what they can and can't do. Um, she did say something that I, I think is <laughs> annoying. She was like, I think we can all agree that the argument that eliminating forced arbitration threatens innovation should be dismissed out of hand. Yes, yes. We can all agree with the conclusion that I haven't proven. We can just dismiss it out of hand. Uh, counter arguments. Anyway, then she talks about moderating hate speech, and she, again, talks about promoting conspiracy theories as a problem, right? And it's, again, this conflation of hate speech with conspiracy theories, and uh, like I said, that is very, very dangerous. Um, Then she's like, yay, Sundar, you're from the same state that I am in India. Okay, great. Um, Then we move to Mr. Rothfuss. he basically said, hey, some engineers at Google discussed potentially manipulating search results to influence the election. They thought that they could do this. Do you believe that Google is that powerful? Um, Sundar kind of evades the question. He's like, well, people get their information from lots of sources. Look, obviously, Google is that powerful. If they actually wanted to manipulate, they could. Um, and are they doing it? I don't think we've seen evidence that they're manipulating search results. I think they absolutely are manipulating YouTube. Um and then he says, does Google do anything to ensure ideological diversity among employees and decision makers? <laughs> Obviously, the answer is no. Uh, we go to Miss Demings. She was concerned about privacy and what she called predatory advertisements, which I think is not a valid uh, philosophical, it's not philosophically valid as a term, but predatory advertisements. Hey, do you want this thing? I, I guess if it's a lie, uh, but... Um, she was very concerned about how Google makes sure that poor and affluent communities get treated the same. Then we go to Mr. Gomert. Gomert was, again, 
pissed off that the Southern Poverty Law Center is a trusted flagger on YouTube. He says they stir up hate speech against Family Research Center. And uh, uh, and he says, and guys, go in shooting. I don't know. I guess there was some, maybe there was a shooting at Family Research Center. Um, you know, he basically says, look, uh, if you put the trust in the wrong people like SPLC, you should be liable when they're liable, Google. Um, and complained about the post-election Google video that I did in the show on earlier. Um, and like, how can you not? He basically says, like, you don't have a clue how politically biased Google is. Uh, I think he knows how biased the employees are. He's just uh, thinking that in terms of the search algorithms, uh, they're unbiased and thinks that the, the systems they've got in place are uh, sufficient to protect against um, manipulation through bias. Uh, he complains about Wikipedia being biased. Again, Google considers them trustworthy, just like SPLC. He says they're biased. Um, and again, when you should be liable when an, when an entity is liable. So if someone sues Wikipedia or SPLC for something and wins, it's Google should be liable for relying on them also. Uh, then we go to Mr. King. He says, how many staff uh, and who is it that establishes the parameters by which algorithms are written? Sindar says there's over a thousand. He, then he says, like, how do you hire them internally or externally? Like, stupid stuff. But then he says, well, do you spy on them? Basically, he's like, well, have you looked at their social media? Right. And Sundar's like, no, but, you know, we don't spy on their social media to decide whether they get these jobs. But, you know, we have uh, objective rules in place and we've got a system and so they can't blah, blah. And so, um, again, there's this kind of like uh, – this comes not just from conservatives. It's from both sides. There's this like magic wand, this like magic view of stuff. And they're like, well, we think algorithms are written with built-in bias against conservatives. And, and you know, my question back would be – how how do you think like how how um maybe how right and so he again started talking about looking at outcomes and stuff and and sindar was like look we rank results based on user feedback and blah 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 but this guy wanted to see kind of uh he wants to see google's algorithms which is like totally inappropriate and uh and or personal info on the teams that can can touch them um, and again, it brings up this question, who determines what balanced social media is, right? Is it a good mix of Republicans or Democrats? That's balanced. Cause it's not balanced to me. I don't think that's balanced. I don't, I don't want just Republicans and Democrats. So it's again, sets up this two party. It, it, it keeps the two party system in power by setting up that, uh, paradigm. Um, then Mr. Rutherford from Florida came in. He complained about Google's 20 length a uh, 20-page long privacy policy and how no one could understand it. So, you know what, Mr. Rutherford? Yeah, 20 pages is is a long privacy policy, and it is unreasonable to expect people to understand it. Did you know, Mr. Rutherford, that the U.S. Code, which is uh, all the codified general statutes, um, is contained in 365 Oh, sorry, 356 volumes, and it takes up 55 feet of shelf space, right? So the code part itself without the annotations is 35 volumes and around 1,200 to 1,400 pages each, each of those 35 volumes, including a 6,850 pages of index in six volumes of index, and one volume that's nothing but a 1,400-page list of other public laws that haven't been codified, like the budget and stuff like that. So um, there's also uh, a code of federal regulations um, for another 20,000 pages. So look, 
yeah, you know, Google, uh, it's easy to say, hey, you guys have this 20-page long privacy deal, and we're worried that the average consumer can't understand this. Well, you know what? What's the damage to an average consumer if they don't understand it? They don't buy the phone or they do and get some of their data released? The damage to not understanding the U.S. code is you go to jail, right? Those are laws that you can get thrown in jail for violating, and uh, it is orders of magnitude more complicated and worse than Google's privacy policy. So uh, I think it's a bit rich to uh, to complain about that. Um, also, this guy is just kind of confused. He was like, he didn't seem to understand uh, you know, what info he was giving up. So... Um, we get to Mr. Roby or Ms. Ms. Roby. She also says, "Look, everything's complicated. Privacy is complicated. You should do more." Ah, and then we finally end. Mr. Uh, Good Latte, as I like to call him, Mr. Good Lot, comes back at the end and is like, uh, "Hey, who makes the judgment calls on content?" I think he's talking about hate speech stuff again. Um, and Sundar's like, "Oh, it depends. It's but it's clear, and people can contact them." I think uh, I think you're wrong about that, Sundar. I don't believe it's very clear, and they seem to be very good at ignoring uh, appeals, but or just describing why someone was banned or um, ad limited or anything on YouTube. So uh, anyway, that's kind of the the summary. I know I went over. Uh, wow, I went over by almost a half an hour, but I think it's important to see just kind of what questions your representatives were asking Google. Uh, you know, the summary here from my perspective is both Republicans and Democrats love the idea of 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 uh, pushing Google to, quote, balance things as as in the sense of like, uh, well, Republicans really like the idea of pushing the balance because they're losing right now. Um, but, you know, they, they love this idea of like it's this or that. Right. There's no they like the paradigm of Republican versus Democrat. Cause that's, let's just leave it at that. And if we, they get their hands involved. That'll be good. Democrats don't really care because uh, they're not um, suffering from any problems here, really. Um, although they, some of them still think that there's this Russia thing. Uh, you know, the, the big takeaway I got here was, look, if you are virtue signaling about privacy, look, well, I, I consider this entire thing virtue signaling about privacy. This whole thing is Congress virtue signaling about privacy. They are pretending, they're trying to look like heroes, right? It's easy to look like a hero and be like, oh, look, look how much we care about privacy and the, it's too complicated for people and you get this data and that data and blah, blah, blah. It's all bullshit. And the reason it's all bullshit is because it's easier for them to pull Sundar Pachai into a hearing in front of cameras and ask him a bunch of privacy questions than it is to oppose the NSA, and the, the, the Defense Department and executive branch apparatus that's used to spy on citizens in, in, in a violation of the Fourth Amendment and a massive overreach, which we've done nothing about since Snowden's release of information and his revelation of what was going on. We've done nothing about that. And it's much easier to pull Sundar in and smear Google's name than it is to actually fix the bigger problem, the much bigger problem, which is your own government is collecting massive amounts of information on you. And that is a hard problem to solve. And it's a lot, it's just, it's messier. And it's not as easy. It's not a little sound bite of virtue signaling, right? You got to roll up your sleeves and fight the deep state. And that's something that very few of these Congress people are prepared to do. And that's, if they care about privacy, 
that's what they should be doing. So this is a sham. The whole thing's a sham. Like Google or not like Google, I don't really like Google. I don't use their products. I use DuckDuckGo. I do use Gmail, but look, I used, I, I don't use Google products very much. I've got an iPhone. Um, I, I steer clear of Google stuff generally. But, you know, and, and like I said, they've got issues. But really, um, this is a circus. And if the government actually cared about your privacy, they would care about the massive overreaches for which they are directly responsible. On that note, uh, I've, like I said, I've gone over almost, uh, almost by 50%. So join me on Thursday. I'm going to call it, uh, call it a day here, but join me on Thursday for deprogrammed with Carrie Smith. Uh, Carrie, uh, Carrie and I do every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific we do deprogrammed. We talk about social justice warriors. I'm not sure what we're talking about this week. Might be comedy, um, but I'm not totally sure. So anyway, join us this Thursday at 11. You can also follow us on Twitter at Unsafe Show. You can please subscribe to the channel on YouTube if you're watching it here. Um, you can go to unsafeshow.com, Patreon.com/slash/unsafe-space. Facebook, we've got an unsafe space page. Gab. Uh, minds. You can find us in all the places. So again, thank you everyone. Really appreciate it and have a great rest of your evening.